This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Temple of Hoop. As always, I'm your co-host, Jay Mabes, a.k.a. Coach Maples, here with Kings. Kings, what's going on, man? Man, we going good, man. Living good. You know, enjoying this, you know, back-to-back Lakers way. You know, keep them, keep them afloat for at least the next week. <laughs> yeah, and they appear pure survival mode right now. Crazy. Uh, definitely going to get into some Laker talk later on. A lot, lot to get into there on and off the court. Um but got to start off with these trade deadline deals. Whole bunch of movement as expected. Um, we're going to go over the big ones just to see where, where where we are with those. First off, the one nobody expected, given what the price was for the for the main piece. But the Bulls, they trade Vooch and Aminu to – they trade four Vooch and Aminu, four Wendell Carter, Otto Porter Jr., and two first-round picks. Um, this was probably by the, the biggest shocker of the trade uh, deadline deals. Uh, what was mm-hmm. your take on, on this, on the Bulls being kind of aggressive at, at this juncture with Levine at age 26? Well, I think somebody has said something about Le- uh, Levine had talked about on the All-Star weekend that he he needed, they thought the team should get a, a big-time big and a playmaker. Uh, they got their big, and I definitely think they're going to be on the hunt for the playmaker um, from all from. From all reports, it does not seem like Lonzo wants to remain in New Orleans. It also doesn't seem like New Orleans really wants Lonzo to be a long-term piece. At this point, you know, um, I think was Lonzo is he a restricted free agent? He is restricted. I, I I think there's a lot of the the post-trade conference presser. David Griffin said that Lonzo told him he wanted to stay in New Orleans long-term. That was what David Griffin said. A couple of reports from like non-primary guys yeah. like a, have said that said otherwise, LeVar said otherwise, so it was just a lot of smoke. But David Griffin said Lonzo has told him face-to-face, like recently he wanted to be there, so we'll see how that goes. But I do agree that they, they're they probably a playmaker away from making some serious noise. So, yeah, go ahead, continue. Yeah, and I, and I believe, you know, it's very clear the Pelicans do not want to pay Lonzo a certain amount. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah definitely, a, definitely so, a cap. <laughs> so matching, matching his – Matching an offer to him does not sound like something they would want to do. So, a sign and trade with the Bulls in the offseason is definitely something that they would do to get their playmaker. And, you know, the Pelicans will definitely look to take that, you know, because obviously you don't want to lose somebody over for nothing and you don't want to sign someone to a contract you're not willing to pay. So, I think, you know, the Bulls are in great shape. They have, they, you know, Laurie's now expendable uh, as, you know, as. You know, even though we don't like Lor, or some of us don't like Lori's game in terms of how inconsistent he can be and the liability he poses on the defensive end, uh, the fact is he is a stretch big who can rebound here and there, and that's always going to have value in this league, especially for a team like the Pelicans who are looking for stretch bigs to pair with Zion, Zion offensively. So, you know, they're always going to be able to get something from Zion, I mean, from uh, Lori and uh, Kobe for, for them to get that playmaker, that, that true playmaker that they want. You know, now they have Levine, Kobe White kind of expendable in terms of they don't need a combo scoring guard because Levine's one of the best combo scoring guards we have in the game today. So, you know what I mean? So it's like they don't need to wait for Kobe to be what they got Levine for. So getting that playmaker is probably going to be priority number one for them in the offseason. Yeah, I like it, man. I like it. I think this is probably the best position the Bulls have been in since the Derrick Rose era yep. as far as having, having a talent uh, available to them. Um yeah, but I agree with you about Kobe White. They even moved him to the bench to get Sadoransky in there because he's more of a pass-first guy. So they got Kobe coming off the bench. So mm-hmm. interesting to see what they do in the offseason. Uh, what, what's your cap for the Bulls this year after that trade? You think it's just uh, making the playoffs? Can they win around? 
I know the East is tough. Those top, that top four is, is legit. So uh, what, what's your cap for the Bulls uh, this year? A playing team. Uh, I think there will be a playing team. Uh, I think once they get their, um, their playmaker and they kind of shore up the margins a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, I think then they'll be a truly legitimate playoff, uh, playoff team. But right now I think they're a playing team for sure. Uh, uh, so I, I like them in the in the, in the plans, uh, and I like them going forward. They're a nice young team now. They're trying to actually commit to their talent and not just you know be in the no man's land where they're not that bad or they're going to get a high draft pick, but they're also not good to really be competitive and bring excitement to their fan base. So you know it's all look. You know you're not not every team is going to win, but it's always good when you see teams at least try right to put out competitive things on the floor because. Part of running a team is even though you know you can't win the championship, you should at least not just do right by your fans, but also it's going to be a good money-generating thing for you if you can put out a product that actually sells tickets. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, even though the Houston Rockets weren't going to win games, they wanted to keep Harden because you know you sell tickets when you have a good product. So there's other ways to generate revenue as well, even though if you're not winning championships. Yeah, that was the um... – I, I agree with that 100%. Now, I'm thinking about Chicago's a big market, too. You kind of wonder like, if, if they become competitive, you know, that right. becomes a, a free agent, you know, destination, possibly, you know, one of those big markets along with, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what the Knicks look like in free agency, you know, becoming a, a player after they look you know, kind of not a dumpster fire for the first time in some time. So that, that's a good point you raised about, you know, teams going forward and putting themselves in, in a position to be, you know, at least – a watchable product. <laughs> right. Um, next, next trade. I want to go into my favorite trade of the day because uh, I, I think it made the Nuggets a serious, serious uh, team. Nuggets traded for Aaron Gordon um, to the Magic from the Magic for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a protected first round pick from 2025. So I love this trade. I've heard you. We we both have good things to say about Aaron Gordon. He's that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of that archetype you mentioned a few times that power wing. Yeah, the power that, wing. That, that you're going to need to defend in the playoffs. I think he fits that mold incredibly. He felt like a glove tonight. Just the parts of the game I saw, it was just seamless. With, mm-hmm. with, with Jokic's passing and the way Denver moves the ball, his ability to you know spot up shoot and and be athletic and get to the basket if if, if it will tonight. Um, what were your thoughts on this trade? I think this is the, for me, this was the trade that had the biggest effect on taking a team to the next level. Like, cause Denver was just a playoff team for me. And I think they became a contender with, with that piece. Like you don't completely replace Jeremy Grant, but you get the same kind of archetype who can do a little bit of the things he did. So what, what did you think about Denver? Yeah. For, for me and watching Denver, you know, the, the real key, for me, was them losing Jeremy Grant and not replacing him at all. So this trade is great because not only do you replace Jeremy Grant, but I think from what for, from what they wanted from Jeremy Grant, I think um, Aaron Gordon fits that role a little bit better. Um, he's Jeremy Grant is better than Aaron Gordon, absolutely. And another thing I would say, if they knew Jeremy Grant could would be this, we know with the, with the touches he has. I don't think they keep Michael Porter. Ever, 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 you said, you said that. No, that's my that's my thought process. But that's looking in hindsight. What they were expecting from Jeremy Grant was to be a three and D guy who can check the athletic, bigger uh, wings, and as well as be able to play the four and check some tweeners or athletic tweeners like the Siakams of the world. Aaron Gordon fits that profile much better from a physical standpoint than uh, Jeremy Grant does. Uh, he's more athletic. He's better defensively. Uh, because he's more stronger. I don't think he's better defensively because, you know, he has better foot speed or, you know, has better hands than, you know, Grant. But he has a, he strength. Has, he has a strength, a stronger body, and he's athlete, He's an uber athlete, as we all know, um, and especially if you're in a bear, you know you know what Aaron Gordon is. Say so, San Jose, stand up, baby. You know what I'm saying? San Jose, Archbishop, <laughs> so you already know what Aaron Gordon's about. So, um, so yeah, man, he, he fits the profile, what they need. And offensively, he's perfect. Uh, the rim runner, high flyer. I think we already, I already saw a highlight tonight of him catching a, a high low feed from from Jokic for easy dunk. I mean that's just going to be there for for Aaron Gordon, you know, all game with with uh, with Jokic right now on that high low. So he's just perfect in every way that he can hit some threes. He's streaky shooter, but he can hit some threes. 
and uh, he's just a, a he's a glove fit man. Like Aaron Gordon was the guy who could who all teams that need a power ring that should have been their number one target. Man. Yeah, it's a home run hit, home run trade for the Nuggets that really didn't really cost them much. I mean, going forward, if you were gonna keep MPJ, one of Harris or Barton had to go. And they kept the uh, the one whose body holds up better, I think, in my opinion, because Harris has had a lot of issues with injuries. Granted, Harris was the one who was healthy last playoff run, but I think in general, Barton's the one who tends to stay on the floor more. Or you know, I could be wrong with that. You know, Nuggets fans, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, that, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, I, th- I think they kept the one who would probably be more reliable going forward. Um, so, and uh, you know, Barton, I know Barton is just really good scoring as well. Jack of all uh, trades can do everything. Jack of all I, I trades, like type of player, defender, three point shooter can handle the ball. You know, whatever you want, need him to do, he can do it at a you know average level offensively at the minimum. So that's a good player for them. Yeah, I just like their team, man. I like it a lot better. The only issue I have now um, is just MPJ. Where does he play? Um, you know, I mean, he, if you're gonna start him at the three, man, uh, he's just gonna have to take that leap. No yeah. defensively because he's going to be hunted, bro. <laughs> There's just no other way around it. I think they're going to do that thing where they'll start at both, but Gordon will take the harder of the matchups. Right, that's what he's, I expect. Teams are obviously going to hunt switches, obviously, in the playoffs. You know how it happens in the playoffs. Whatever mismatch, they're going to try to hunt it. But I think initially they'll put, you know, um, Gordon on a tougher matchup. Um, another trade kind of made Laker fans chuckle. Uh Hawks traded Hawks traded for Lou Williams, giving up Ronald to the Clippers. Uh, it was funny all along. Clipper fans all season, we don't need a point guard. Oh, but then trade deadline, they uh, <laughs> they trade for one. Um, I w- was was you know we both have our thoughts about Rondo. He did play decent in the playoffs in stretches. Um, what are your thoughts on this move for the Clippers? Does it really move the needle for you? Um, for me, it's one of those things where they can't get any worse. I mean, people <laughs> people don't understand. People are like, people were we were weird with this trade. I think they were just trying to slander the Clippers just to slander them. They're like, oh, the Clippers are now much worse because they don't have Lou anymore. I'm like, have you looked at what Lou Williams actually does in the playoffs? Like, I mean, like, are you actually looking at you know at what he does? Like, you no. Know, no, those no disrespect to Jason. Uh, uh, you know, respect to some of the takes he'd be having. He he did have a comment on Rondo about how Rondo had like I think four good games for the for the Lakers. <laughs> and I was like, you know, how much good games did Lou? Really I remember. Have in the I, I remember. I, I tweeted that that you was like, well, that's four more than Lou. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, you know, how many good games did he? I think he had like one good game against Dallas where he had like thirty or forty points. That was like the only good game. He had a stretch where he shot ten percent from three last last year in the bubble. I mean, and he hasn't been good in the playoffs his, most of his career. So it's like, like really, if you're expecting Lou Williams to do anything in the playoffs, like you're already in trouble. So Rondo, his reputation is playoff Rondo. Like I said, the Clippers don't care about regular season games. They don't, they don't care about regular season games. They care about what's going to optimize them best in the playoffs. And the worst case scenario for this move is a lateral move. Best case scenario gives them at least somebody with a high IQ who's going to like he's at least going to be able to get Kawhi the ball in the spots that he wants. Right. You know what I mean? Like Kawhi's not gonna have to work to get to the point where he's gonna be able to where he wants to score. Rondo can take that pressure off him. Say Kawhi, go set up over there, and I'm gonna find a way to feed your rock. Same thing with PG. Like, and I think I'll, I also say this for the Clippers: it did kind of free Terrence Mann on that bench. Yes, games. and he, he's been completely unlocked. He played very well the, the game tonight without today without Lou, and he's been playing well in general. I think that made them be more aggressive. Seeing him emerge these last few weeks, I think it made them more aggressive in possibly giving up Lou because they could depend on him off the bench a little bit. So I think Lou Kennard, uh, I think uh, Kennard does too because, you know, as much as Kennard is unplayable in a lot of situations, he, when he can play, he is an offensive spark for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is a much, a very good offensive spark for them, and he's bigger, so he's not as easy to stop as Lou because Lou's size gets, gets him in trouble when he right. starts. When, when you get to the playoffs, you know, you're playing mostly teams that are usually athletic and switch. 
and are going to be long and contest all your shots. So Lou's good at – Lou Kennard is bigger, so he's able to, you know, fend off easier. Uh, and, like, Rondo is going to make them, Reggie, and Man's life easier because now those guys don't really have to worry about facilitating because Rondo's just going to do all that. And then Rondo's in a great spot because it's like – he doesn't have to worry about being a, a spot-up shooter because the, the Clippers have all types of spacing. He literally only has to do the things he does good offensively. Yeah. Get to the rim and facilitate. Literally, that's all he has to do on offense, the things he does well. So that's why I feel like this is a good trade for them because it's like if you're looking at what they need, Rondo actually is what they need, even though he's – Rondo we find very annoying. Rondo, obviously, in the regular season, he hasn't. We know, we get it. We see the film. We all know that. But there is something with him in the playoffs where it's a half-court game. It's an IQ game. He does excel in that game. And with the Clippers, he's not being asked to do anything that he's not good at. Like, that's another thing we have to understand. Yeah, this was funny. As soon as it happened, I was thinking about it. And then, you know, Joseph was on this pod a few weeks ago telling us they're probably going to trade for Rondo. And then it happened. Yeah. So he let us know. That was pretty funny. Uh, another trade from a, I'm a fringe, you know, fringe team, uh, kind of in between, trying to compete. Blazers traded for Norman Powell, gave up Gary Trent and Rodney Hood. Uh, this was odd for me because I've, I've always thought mm-hmm. that the Blazers need help on the wings, and they, yeah. gave, they gave up one. So they're just, I think they're all in on completely. We're going to spread you out and and play that way. And they're, they're leaning into what they do. Um I'm thinking about the lineups they have, possibly, you know, a Nurk, Nurk, Covington, and then those three guards. Uh, that just is tough to defend, but, you know, the Blazers are one of the worst defensive teams in basketball. They didn't really address it. They kind of leaned in the, you know, the other side even more. So what, what did you feel about the Blazers acquiring uh, Norman Powell? Maybe this my, – my, 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 my unsourced theory is that this is a precursor to possibly trading C.J. for a wing in the offseason. And keeping Powell at that two spot. So, what 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 did you think about that Blazers trade? That's an interesting. That's an interesting point that you brought because Norman Norman Powell is up for an extension. So, that's what I'm saying, yeah. uh, trading CJ to get that wing would be, you know, very, you know, be a very shrewd move, but something that is on the table for a team that would need a, a, a dynamic scorer like. Uh, CJ has like you know defensive wings to give up. I, you know, I don't know any off the top of my head. I think maybe what. The, I don't know if the Knicks have a lot of wings. I was going to, I was going to say Knicks. I don't know if the Knicks got the wings yet, but they, they're yeah, an ideal they, team for CJ. They're an ideal team for a CJ McCullum trade for sure. So, um, But, you know, I think what we're seeing this year and what the Blazers did, I think we're seeing teams double down on what they do well. Yep. Just say, you know, <laughs> we do this great. It's not guaranteed that this guy we get to fill this hole is going to be good enough to make us better than certain teams, so let's just keep doing what we do good <laughs> to the best of our abilities and see what happens. I think that's just what you're seeing with teams. I mean, you're seeing it with the Lakers, with the Drummond, seeing it with the Nets, with the hyper offense again. you just seeing – and we see with the Blazers, you know, they, they love their small guards who can shoot off the bounce and who can shoot, catch and shoots. It allows them to play uh, very big in the front court because those bigs now have the spacing. Uh from the from there because their their guards are shot creators that they take it off the bounce they don't need you know uh they don't, they don't need other players to space the floor for them because yep. their games their games they space the floor for themselves so they don't need other guys to do it so the the Blazers are in a unique position where they can play you know non mobile or non floor spacing bigs because all their guards are all their permanent players are outside oriented players to mellow. We already know he's an outside oriented player as well. Right. Can shit off the dribble. So that's the type of position they have on offense. The thing with the Blazers has always been defensively. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't address that. That was something. They didn't address that at all. But in fact, you probably got worse because from what the Raptor fans are saying, Norman Powell on defense, is, there's a reason why they wanted to trade him and not pay him 20 million. So. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, look, but they knew this. And in their mind, there's like, you know what? We can't address our defensive needs right now, so let's just go all in. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I mean, I saw Norman Powell's averaging 24 games since he's been putting the starting lineup for Toronto. Like, so that's that's a lot of firepower 
averaging 20 on the year, I believe. Shooting. Yeah, but yeah, since the season started, it was 24 a game as a starter. Yeah, so. So that's a lot of firepower in Portland. I said these Western Conference playoffs going to be crazy regardless of the, of the matchups, man. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be fun to see. Um, last major trade happened right at the buzzer, actually. Uh, mm. The Miami Heat, get your boy. Your boy. Niger boy, huh? Yeah. Only cost him every badly, Kelly Olenek, in a swap in 2022. Um, oh, man. Like I said, you look at the Rockets side of it, that that haul for the for the James Harden, man. I, mean, I know a lot of Rockets fans got upset with me, man, but right now that's the uh, worst trade for us. Unless one of those picks <laughs> is a franchise player, that is the worst trade for a superstar, a still productive superstar in NBA history. The Kawhi, NBA I give the Spurs somewhat of a pass because it was questions about his injury, his leg. So. Yeah, Kawhi had a health situation. Right. Nobody he hadn't played in forever. The uh, yeah, at least got an All Star back that made them go to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can they, you know what I mean? You DeRozan had like even DeRozan this deadline had value somewhat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like some teams were kind of targeting him, so they at least got something of value that they could have going forward. But my my, my thing is Rockets, you, don't, maybe, you don't you don't get Simmons because Simmons puts you in the luxury tax. So that's why I was like, dude, that is the reason you don't accept the Ben Simmons deal. So you take a bunch of these picks that you have to now, you know, hit on, and it's like, oh boy. But you know, I, they do they did get KPJ. I think that was a good trade to get them to see. You know, but that wasn't from the Harden trade. That, yeah, I'm just, I'm, 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 that's a side note. So like that was salvage, but that Harden deal looks terrible for a 31 year old star who's still. Superstar, man. It's not even oh, a star. Yeah, dude. That's, that, that, that's not a good trade. But on the Miami like, side, Harden, yeah. Harden is literally in that Charles Barkley tier type of player right. as a Hall of Famer. Like, literally, he's in that David Robinson type where he's a all-time talent, and that's what you get from him. Yeah, that's – yeah, man. Uh, so, I know a lot of Rockets fans got upset with me, but they was like, let's want to go to picks before. We're going to see what the picks look like. I was like, all right, man. Go get like the, the, Warriors, the Warriors legitimately got a lottery pick. Okay, you don't know. Like you get, <laughs> you're getting picks from good teams. It's going to be in the teens and the 20s. So, anyway, we'll, we'll see. But from the Miami side, what did you like about this? I know Miami was kind of getting fed up with having to close games with Duncan right. Robinson and uh, Tyler Hero. Yeah. I know uh, Vic kind of addresses that. He can get one of them off the floor so they can be better defensively late in games. Um, what do you like? What do you see from Miami? I know Miami's a team that everybody's like, if they can get it together, their personnel is fit to give anybody trouble. The record hasn't shown it. They've been up and down this year. Uh, where, where are you with this trade for Miami? Yeah, for Miami, I mean, slam dunk because it's like, what does it cost you? Guys that right. <laughs> weren't playing? I mean, Kelly Olenek was the best guy in the deal. You already replaced him getting uh, Jalen Chica from uh, the Kings. Right. So it's like you already replaced Olenek anyway with somebody who's probably better defensively because he has more size and he does the same thing offensively. So it's like you lost nothing to get a guy who – we were saying his leg is cooked and it's not the same, obviously, but he's still a great talent. He's still a, a talent. He's still like a star type talent in terms of even I think they were saying like his last like ten or so games or whatever. I was just gonna I was just gonna say that he was starting like, to look like his old self. Yeah, I was just gonna say. You know what I'm saying starting to look like his old self again. He's not gonna be he's not gonna be asked to to do to be a, a, a number one. No, I mean, he's not going to be asked to be a number one in Miami. He's going to be asked to be, like, a three three sometimes, (laughs) you know, three or two, depending on the situation. He gets to play off great shooters. He gets to play off a great playmaker – not great playmaker, but a good playmaker in uh, Drogic and Jimmy and Bam. Like, he gets to play off multiple good playmakers. He's going to get him easier looks. You know what I'm saying? He's going to get to play – he's not going to have to – he's not going to have to uh, force the issue in terms of, you know, creating off the dribble for himself. So he's, the game's just going to be a lot more easier for him, and he gets to put more effort and energy into his defense now that he won't have to do as much offensively. And he just fits, you know, the heat style, the heat culture of, you know, being in premier shape, playing to both sides of the ball, you know, using your IQ, uh, battling to the end. You know, Victor's a gamer. He's a clutch player. Uh, he always, he you know, his, his MO this past few years is always showing up in the clutch, so – that gives, that's good for Miami. It gives him another clutch guy to go to outside of Jimmy. 
Right. When the Miami was running into is in the clutch, if Jimmy wasn't going, they had nobody else to turn to. Well, now you do. Right? You have a guy who's not afraid of it. He's, he he hits big shots. So it, it was a slam dunk for Miami. And like you said, they can now not play one of Hero or Robinson, whoever's not making their jumpers. It's going to sit completely. And right. they don't have to worry <laughs> about having having to have them on the floor because they right. don't need to. And, uh, you know, depending on how Ariza looks, they might be able to bench both of them. So. <laughs> you know, I, thought, I, I thought getting a reason was big for them too. Like and being yeah. reached, they they made some good moves to say we, yeah. we all, man, like I said, like you said earlier, it's good to see teams. I think you made this point earlier, like to see these teams not back down from these. Yeah, they're not laying down. It's like it's that's 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 good for the league in general, man. It's, it's good. I think they learned their lesson uh, from the Warriors, uh, and I'm not saying that it was good that KD got hurt, but you see what happens when the Raptors went for it and they right. stayed ready. They got shit from that. Right, and I think right, right. And then teams who try to wait out the Warriors, you know, um, where these teams like the Blazers or like the Nuggets, was like, oh, yeah, let's stay, uh, not, not, let's not go for it. Let's just wait it out. Uh, and then look what happened. You have LeBron and AD team up, and then you have the Nets. So right. like, if you wait, a super team doesn't do anything because the new new ones are just going to come anyway from the, in the big market. So right. you got to go for it when you have it. And see what happens. Put the chips, let the chips fall where they may, but you can't be scared. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's good like, to you know, see. I think that that pressure man is like the next super team is coming, so you might as well put the <laughs> chips in and see. Might as well, right? So, I like the moves Miami made. They addressed a lot of weaknesses. They replaced a little bit, you know, that they lost. If they can get a reason to tie. Even the game I saw a reason play he still looks very good defensively. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what they look like. It's Mabel's again. This time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box from this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. The trade that did not happen. So the big, the, the big thing. Yes. The Raptors played the night before the trade deadline. They showed Kyle Lowry saying goodbye to everybody, giving peace signs. So everybody was assuming he was gone. It was told, you know, uh, Philly was in on it heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, late the Lakers were in on it. It turns out the price was too high for for both teams. They didn't do it, so Lowry stayed. Uh, what were your thoughts on the? We're going to the Lakers side of it again, but what are your thoughts on teams kind of balking at the asking price for for Kyle Lowry, given you know what he can bring in a locker room and on and off the floor for a team? Well, I, I don't know what Masai was trying to do with Lowry, considering what he gave up for Norman Powell. I, I just don't understand what his logic was <laughs> with Kyle Lowry because he was literally like, you know, based off Norman Powell's age and his role, uh, you would think he would be the more coveted player, and he was. He had more suitors, especially because of his contract right now. But he treated Kyle Lowry like he was in his prime, and he was a all-star talent in his prime. Like He was asking Philly for Tybull, Maxi, and two first-round picks. <laughs> I mean, I get it. They're in the Eastern Conference. You made him pay the Eastern Conference tax. He probably did a similar deal to Miami. And then to the Lakers, who was out of conference, he asked for THT, Dennis, and Trez, and draft compensation. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Like 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 what? Like he wanted Trez in the deal. He wanted THT in the deal. And he wanted draft compensation. And I'm just like, bro, no. And you know, what I mean, like I, I look, I was one of the people I wanted Kalari. Uh, I think the Lakers do that trade if it's just KCP, Schroeder, and THT. I think if it's just those three. That's what I said, yeah. Or if it's THT or if it's FTHT, you do the 2027 pick. 
think if it's one of those, though, I think if it's one of those two scenarios, they definitely do the deal. I think they definitely do that deal, find a way to, to plug in with, uh, you know, the rest of the roster with another follow-up trade or something else. Like, you know, I think if, you know, they got Kyle Iyer, I think they, for example, I think they pursue someone like uh, Terrence Ross even harder so that they can create up space to get that man and have Ross and Larry and fill up with that man guys to, to wait until Brown gets back. But just what, like, Messiah was asking for, bro, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense because now in the offseason you have, like, no leverage. So, like, some people are, like, we're saying, like, oh, Messiah made a statement, you can't flee something. Like, bro, you have no leverage now because Kyle Lowry is an unrestricted free agent and no team has to do a sign and trade with you. Right. So it's like you, all that theatrics you did at the end of the, the – the theatrics you did at the deadline, now you got nothing to show for it. So it's like some GMs just do that to themselves. They want to have, like, a, a reputation – and then they just let their emotions get the better. You know, you saw Pop do that with the Kawhi trade. Now you see Masai do it with this trade. You saw the Houston Rockets do it with the Harden trade. Like, they just let something irrational, make them irrational to the point where they just do a blunder that, like, not even an average fan would probably. Yeah, I, I, my thing was, I think the Raptors, I think there's a view of what Kyle Lowry means to them. Mm-hmm. And they've earned that versus how the league values him. Right. I think there was a miss. There was that was on the same wavelength, so that's why they couldn't get a deal done. Because you know, obviously, he's in the conversation for the greatest rapper ever, given his longevity. Mm-hmm. He was a key piece in bringing a ring there. He's been there forever, so his value to the Raptors is extremely high. I don't know how much it is for everybody else. Uh, it would have been fun for the Lakers to get him, but like you said, the price, all that plus draft compensation. That's a little bit much. And the Lakers seem to be extremely high on THT despite his uh, the, the bumps in the road this season. So I think they're going to ride that out unless they can get a, a star for him. So uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to at least give THT one offseason. Look, I think, and I tweeted this out, I don't think people realize he hasn't had an offseason workout. His rookie year in the offseason, he was injured. So he didn't have – that's why he spent a lot of time in the G League. Uh, he wasn't able to get acquit- acquainted with the team because he's, you know, he was injured. Uh, this off season, obviously, he had a short off season, so he wasn't able to, uh, you know, get the work in that he needed um, to be able to like first to develop confidence in his left hand. I think that's going to be one of the first things he does in the off season: get the confidence in his left hand. And I think he also going to then work on his off the dribble shooting and his three point catch and shoot. I think those are three things he'll work on. I think. I think, like, and I, and I told people, and I think THT fall on the timeline I laid out for him. And many people are like, were saying, oh, because you know how Laker fans get when there's a guy with talent or there's a guy they get excited with. They start gassing you. Like, they're like, oh, THT should start. Like, some people had THT starting. Wanted THT hey, man, to start like, I, was, I remember, I, remember I, was, I was big on the THT train. I, was, I thought that was a great pick when it happened. I tweeted it. But then I was yeah. like, man, when dude put, when, shout out Josh, man, when he put that, that, that poll up, it was like a better prospect, THT or R.J. Barrett. I was like, come on, man. Come on, man. Y'all, like, y'all need to stop, bro. Like, <laughs> I was like, like let, let the kid develop. That's doing like, a lot. <laughs> like, what are you – like, this is the type of stuff that be having people on Laker fans' heads, bro. Like, what are you doing, bro? Like, come on, bro. Like, R.J. Barrett and the Knicks are in the fourth seat, bro. Like, the, you know what I mean? They're above behind the fourth seat. Like, come on, bro. Like, stop that. Like, THT's cool. He's going to – like I said, next year he's going to be a nice six, man. I think his trajectory – I said yeah, his trajectory yeah. was – this year, get minutes. Probably not going to play that much in the playoffs because it's too high stakes. Next year, be that six-man. Finally get that uh, role where you're playing meaningful minutes on contender the whole season. That's kind of his development trajectory. He's going to be a nice – I think he's going to be a D6 man for the Lakers next season, especially since they're probably going to lose Trez because uh, he's going to get paid. I think THC is going to be the six-man for the Lakers next year given his ability to ball handle once he gets his uh, – he, he can pass. I think he once he gets his left hand, his shooting yep, threat, left hand, left hand shooting, yeah. And the shooting threat established, those passing lanes will be easier for him to go see it. He'll be, I think he'll be a good multi-dimensional player that the Lakers and LeBron team has been needing from a bench guy, and forever. I think he'll he'll definitely evolve into that, which is why I think Ron wanted to keep him, and I think Rob and Polinka wanted to keep him as well as someone going in the future. But uh, you no, know, 
It's too young, man. Like, y'all were expecting one thought he was going to start, man. And what, man, come on, man. What's up with y'all, man? Respect. It's, 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 it's the extremes with Dennis, bro. So you have the people who don't respect what he brings. And you have the people who, who take what I say and make it even more extra. Yeah. Catching slander. Because of me, I'm like, bro, what? Like, I had, like you had Dennis getting slandered, you know, for the Suns. And for the uh the 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 seventy six game, you go and look at Sam like bro, he's one of the he's like the only dude well, he's like one of the only dudes yeah. balling off that trade cool. It's like come on, bro. Like, we L- L- Laker fans, you know, we we tend to operate in extremism. That's honestly <laughs> I'm I'm guilty myself of that looking at my yeah. history on the timeline, you know, it's, it's it happens. It happens. So, yeah, but you know yeah, but you know, that it, it's gonna be good, I think, for the Lakers. Uh Yo, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about the moves with the, with the drumming coming up soon, but I, I think with THC, just slow down, man. He, he'll yeah. he'll get there in time. That's a segue that you just brought up into the buyouts. Now, there's three I want to discuss. I guess we'll we'll do the Lakers one last, but there's three from three teams who I think are contenders, and I think guys that are gonna you know eventually have a say when when stuff matters. So first, the Nets. Obviously, the, uh, it was rumored that the Heat were in contention to get Aldridge. Uh, they ended up choosing the the Nets, which to me. I've kind of uh, raised my eyebrows. Like, didn't they just get Blake? Kind of like a similar thing, picking pop guy, come in for spot duty. Aldridge is kind of the same archetype at, at this stage mm-hmm. of his career. Uh, what did you feel about Aldridge picking the Nets? Uh, like, like, like we said earlier, man, doubling down on what you do best. <laughs> the Nets is offense. You're going to space the floor to the extreme. We're going to put pressure on all your players to guard us on the outside. And they kept to stuck, stuck to the formula, even with the big man available. They right. said, you know, we're not going to – if you beat us on the boards, oh, well, you can't outscore us outside. And they just doubled down. And I said, got the Marcus Aldridge, who's going to be able to get, you know, who's gonna, it's a body who can get boards and he's going to be using the pick and pop with Harden. You know, it's just using that him for that pick and pop. Blake Griffin, same thing, pick and pop or four-on-three finisher or the lob catcher. From the power wing spot, can play small ball five. Lamarcus Aldridge play small ball five. They want to maximize MDA's offensive philosophy. They literally only want one. I think two rim runners. You, you can use. I haven't seen much of Claxton's offensive game, but he's a physical type of, of, of five finisher. From from the little I've seen, he can. But uh, some of my Nets fans say he has offensive potential to do more. But they think there's. I think they're satisfied with their. Dump bigs and rim running bigs with DeAndre and Claxton. So I think they're just they're just going off small block at this point. Like they don't care about rim protection or nothing like that because they're going to switch everything. So in their in their opinion, it's like you got to beat us one on one. That's that's just their philosophy. Yeah, I was just like people were upset where we're talking about you know they get there. I'm like I, I, I just there's a min, there's a minute cap and there was five yeah. five spots in 48 minutes and then you know <laughs> Kyrie, KD, and Harden going to take up you know. 38 to 40 a piece in a, in a playoff game. I'm like, where are all these guys going to play? That's what I thought. But uh, and Joe Harris, you obviously want there as much as possible. In right. So I was like, I'm just curious how, how this is going to look on on the uh, on the floor. But you know, I'm, like Vinay said, man, they're all in on on the NBA ball, man. We'll we'll see what happens when when it gets sweaty in the playoffs and things get a little tougher. Uh, I'm holding on by a fingernail to my 76ers pick yeah. and not letting go. This is. This is my last stand with the 76ers. I need Embiid to have an all-time playoff run through the East, man. So cement yourself. Um, next one I want to talk about, I thought was underrated, was the Bucks getting Austin Rivers. He wasn't bought out. He was waived after his trade to OKC. OKC is from full tank mode. So they just waved Austin Rivers. Uh, he ended up with the Bucks. I like it. A veteran of guard who's been in the playoffs before in case right. you know, DiVincenzo's not, not giving you what you need on that end. Um, just what are your thoughts on the just rolling the work on the Bucks adding Austin Rivers potentially for you know, what he does, what he can do for them? Added another playoff rotation guard who can hit threes, do something off the dribble, right? And, and scoring is going to be able to commit to the defense, man. That's a good piece for their system. Um, now you have uh, EJ, Austin, Drew, White, Dante, you got uh, Bobby Portis, you got Giannis. Brolo's going to play his spot minutes because that's just what you know, <laughs> wants him to do. And now you don't have to that, – because that's just that seven guys. Now you don't need the eight and nine guys in you know, uh, Forbes and Pat Connington 
right. to be that good. You don't need them to be, you know, that good because you have other guys, you know, who are going to be able to do what you need from them at a high level in you know, multiple in like a lot of minutes. So you're not going to need those eight and nine guys to be that good. They just need to be able to come in there and run your system at a, you know, treading water level until the guys you need on the floor get back out there. Connington can do that. Uh, you know, Forbes can do that because he can shoot and keep them you know, alive offensively with Giannis off the floor. And, you know, with how, I don't know, with how uh, Giannis' brother, uh, Theosis, or that's his name, how he's looking, I mean, he might be, just from his physical physicality standpoint, I mean, he might be able to, to give them some type of minutes off the bench as well, so. I like him. No, no, every time I see him play, he play. He got a motor. He play hard. He got I, don't a motor, man. I don't know. I don't know how skilled he is, but he definitely plays hard. Yeah, he got a motor. I mean, there was running at point at point uh point forward the last game. He was he had twenty something. He had some assists, so he was he was balling a little bit over there. And so, hey, I think you know those motor guys are always good because you always know in the small amount of minutes you're going to play them, they're going to do the right things. You know, they might not give you what you need offensively, but at least they won't hurt you defensively, and they'll run what they need to run offensively. So uh, I think they have – I think the Bucks, who we were shaky about their depth, now they have guys that can actually play in the playoffs, and they'll be okay. They have – they can give their starters rest. Uh, I like it, man. I like what they have. They got – they got – the Bucks are a team now. They have – they have enough. I mean, I didn't even say Drew. Like Drew, I don't even think I said. Right. I didn't say Drew. So they have. They have it's like you said, man. It's just, it's gonna be, it's gonna be on Bud, man. When it when it gets yeah. hot, it's gonna be on Bud, man, to make to make the right call with the rotations. I'm worried about how much he plays Brook Lopez, man. That's, that's the, <laughs> he, he can't play him like that. <laughs> when it gets yeah. tough, Portis is better, man. Portis is better. Um, last one had a timeline on fire, as always. Yeah. Uh, Lakers, Andre Jumbo agrees to sign with them after he cleared waivers. He's coming in. Uh, it's real divisive with his. There was Dang. there was a real there was a real disconnect with his talent and his actual production. That's it, yeah. So where 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 I was is his his film is not good. The film, the numbers. <laughs> you saw the chart. He's literally the worst finisher in basketball. <laughs> volume is literally the worst. That that is like a fact. Are you taking into account, y'all? You have right. to take account right. efficiency. Right, right, right. So, um, but what I what I what I said was this: I was like, maybe he's one of those guys that he he's either sandbagging, like Blake Griffin was, we're not dunking for two years, and his first play is a dunk in <laughs> Brooklyn, <laughs> or it's like you think getting him in a situation with, uh, you know. AD and more so LeBron, who's helped these kind of troubled cases who don't can't find their way in the league, turn themselves around. He's done it with J.R. Smith, most notably, you know, helping him find himself in the NBA. I think that was the biggest case about J.R. was being a head case and LeBron, you know, kind of helped guide him into being a championship player. So you you hoping to get that kind of a effect on Drummond? The, the talent is there. I'm not going to say the talent. He's a big body. Um, Mobile at times used to be a, a vertical, a vertical threat. Uh, hasn't seen have, we have not we haven't seen it. Like I said, the haven't film seen it, yeah. <laughs> haven't seen it in years. Haven't seen it. So, just your initial thoughts on the Drummond trade and where he fits in with the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, let's get all the negatives out the way. Like you said, inefficient finisher, very low IQ uh, player. Um, it's not just somebody where if you just look at his numbers, you would think he was great. But when you actually look at the impact he has on the game and you actually look at the context of the numbers, it's not as good as they look. Like 18 and 13, people will say that's great. But, I mean, 18 points as a big on 47% shooting where you don't take – when you take less than .53s a game, that's not good. <laughs> that that's not good. That's not good. Like contextualize that he's shooting his shots at the rim and he can't make half of his shots. As well as being a bad free throw shooter. That's not good. But let's look at the positive because like like, like 
Because we bring a rebound out his ass off. Because we're gonna lead into a segment on this topic. But when I when we first tried trans, I'm like, man, what? <laughs> but then I started to look at the puzzle, and I was like, you know what? If you do this the right way, it can work. And what do you know, it's working. So let me go ahead and look at the puzzles for Drummond. He has all the physical tools. Um, yes. All the physical tools. I mean, when I mean all. I mean he's also like he can also move. Like he can also move. Um, that's why he. I think he was somebody who tweeted. He was like eighth in steals or third in steals in the league as a center because he's very nimble with his feet and he has nice. He has. He's an athlete at his size. And he can. He, you know, he has good hand movement. Um, he theoretically should be an elite pick and roll big because he's a huge body, can jump, and he can move his feet. Uh, we saw a play. I think the kids put on the timeline where he played the hard end lob, and, and he actually played it as perfect as you can. As you can. He just missed, missed the jump, jump but he was backpedaling on the jump, and he still almost got it. So that just shows you the physical tools that he has. I mean, he can do that type of thing. The problem is he hasn't done it at a consistent basis, and that's where you think, is that because of the situations and the schemes he was in? Was that because of him personally not being motivated? These are the type of things where now you start to think, can AD and Ron get him to use his tools to the best of his ability? Can Vogel get him to use his tools to the best of his ability? And when I saw something very interesting, uh, I saw a finishing chart. Uh, JaVale McGee, 64% field goal percent with the Lakers, uh, 52% or 55%, I believe, this year. Uh, Dwight Howard, 72% with the Lakers. He plays with Ben Simmons. He's still he's at 57%. Right. Uh, Damian Jones was somebody who probably was out the league. Granted, <laughs> he had a small sample size with the Lakers. He shot 94%. 94%. Only missed one shot. Um, Trez, who was already a six-man of the year, shot 58% last year, shooting 64% with the Lakers. So I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, big men finish better with the Lakers. Maybe it's because Braun and all the Lakers are adjusted to getting them good dump downs with their rim pressure and, and attracting guys. Because when you know when you have someone like Braun, you have someone like AD, you're going to attract the attention of the big men down low. It's going to give the big men that they're on an easy finish. So Drummond, literally. All you have to do is use your physical <laughs> between your legs. Don't got to post up and do hook shots with both hands. Rim run, rebound, finish. No coast to coast. And the best thing about this is that's literally what Vogel just said right now on what he plans to use on drumming offense. Rebounding, lob, and roll. That's all what was said. I'm glad he said that. I'm glad you know what the keywords I'm glad he didn't say post up. I'm glad he didn't say post up. <laughs> I'm glad he did not say post up. Okay. I'm glad he did not say this. So it looks like Vogel's at least learning with the big man. I like to see him get better movement for his guards and better DHO action. But the one thing I will give Vogel props for he's not running post ups. He's at least trying to run perimeter oriented stuff and running more pick and rolls. So I think there's a chance here, especially with the need of a big man to fortify the Lakers front court. And Drummond has all the physical tools to be a, a guy who can make impact. I think this can work in the way people think it will work. Like I said, I, I think LeBron has definitely earned the benefit of the doubt given his track record with certain guys. You got J.R. Smith, uh, Dwight Howard, JaVale. Uh, he, he's made it work with less talented guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, he got Mozgov paid. Exactly, right, right, exactly. So, you know. Maybe rejuvenate Birdman's career. Right, Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson, <laughs> Tristan Thompson was looking like a double-double monster with, with LeBron, catching lobs off the pick and roll. Like, I don't think Christian, Tristan Thompson been a lob threat since he played with LeBron. Right, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with the Drummond thing. Uh, I am cautiously – optimistic, uh, more so worried about the Lakers trying to survive this gauntlet. It's just a 
so happens that the guys get injured in the middle of the toughest part of the schedule. So that that was the <laughs> that that's the rough part of dealing right now. Just a hellacious next couple of weeks uh, coming up with. The, but the good thing with them is is they're thirty and uh, seventeen, and in two in the next two weeks they have six games, two of which are win are winnable games for them. So. Yeah, I think the Kings, the Kings, the Kings, Raptors. the Raptors, the Kings are playing a little better, so I think that's going to be tough. But right. the Raptors are there. The Raptors, they they got one toe in that tank mode pool. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so, so you, yeah, so you know what I'm saying. So it's like you know, if they can go two and four in the next two weeks and be thirty-two and twenty-one. You looking that. at one week before AD and Bron comes back because that'll be three weeks since Bron got hurt and AD they saying it's two to three weeks out. They were saying that on Friday, so if you can, you know what I'm saying. So who knows? AD might be back. Yeah, right, right, right. He lived, he might be back, or he him and Bron might come back at the same time. But if you can go two, you can get two wins. I mean, you're sitting 32 and 21 with a week left before Bron and AD come back. That's that's way better than anyone anticipated. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. That uh, agreed, agreed. They, they the, the two wins they got in a the row, they were ugly, but they got them. I thought they, they, had, them. I thought they had to win the, the Cavs in the Magic game, and they, they got those done. Uh, staying, staying with the Lakers. I just uh, we mentioned Trez a couple times on here early. Um, just got to give him props, man. You know, fifteen and seven, mm-hmm. six sixty four percent. I don't know where they would be without his energy, man. Yeah, especially with the injuries and kind of AD coming out, kind of a lax to start the season before he got hurt. I don't know where they'd be without Trez energy. You know, just even on defensively, it's, it's been passable. You know, just aside from a couple of obvious bad matchups that they knew before going into the game, right? He's been very good, fifteen and seven, sixty-four percent energy, energy, energy. Um, you caught it before the season. You you talked yourself into it. I was like, kind of man, wait and see. And uh, I'm to the point where you know I I understand the contract situation where he's probably gonna get a, a bag from somewhere. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing him come back to man. the Lakers, Lakers at all on the on, on the on the right type of deal. So just you know, talk to me about what what Trez has meant to the Lakers, especially in this stretch. And you know, I I, I don't get as much flack as Rye gets from this because. <laughs> Even though I was saying transfer TJ Tucker, I gave a logic to it. I said, you get Blake Griffin on the buyout. If Vogel refuses to play Trez the minutes he wants to play Trez, then, yeah, you should probably trade him for a player you're going to play in the playoffs. Like, that's just a logical side. Right. When people ask me would I prefer to keep Trez, I said yes, because he does good things for the team. If Vogel, I told, I said people, if Vogel learns to trust Trez and use Trez properly, you should keep Trez because he's a good player. He see the energy he brings. You see what he does finishing as a rim roll threat for the guys. How how much it opens them up even when they're not like when they're not scoring, they turn the Trez finger roll. They finally get a bucket. Like that's the stuff of stuff Trez brings. He brings easier buckets. They're sucking people in and generating open looks from the three without LeBron because of the trash figure roll. They almost beat Philadelphia. Like yeah. They were literally down 18 points to start the fourth quarter. It was a three-point game with 50 seconds left. Yeah, Dennis and Trash pick and roll. Dennis and Trash pick and roll got, got him back in the game. I mean, they used it so much, Dennis' legs was gassed. <laughs> but, it, but it still worked because of the ability Trash has to suck defenses in with his roll with his rolling and his finishing, it gets easy looks for guys. So I was always, uh, after, you know, after how Trez started off, I was always, man, Trez is a good player, but Vogel has to trust him. And since he's on that one year, since he's going to get back, I was like, if you're not going to play him, yeah, then you should trade him. Because, like, if you're not going to play him, then you're just wasting your time. But it looks like Vogel is doing the right thing, trusting him. And, again, another comment he made after tonight, he said, I like Mark, I like Trez, I like Drummond. He said, I think we're going to use all three in the playoff room because there's going to be matchups that are going to call for these players. I like that comment because I think he understands that it's a matchup-based thing in the playoffs. So. Here's my concern. So I'm, I'm against taking Gasol out of the starting lineup. But my thing is 
I definitely get you. You may have to because you can't have Drummond and Trez off the bench because they can't play together. No, you cannot. So my thing is you might have to start Drummond just to keep the floor balanced, right? You come in with with Gasol and Trez who can play together. I think that might actually be something nice off the bench. But where are you as far as uh, Drummond coming in and starting and the possible effect he has on, on Trez's minutes or effectiveness in the goal? I mean, I think – I think logically it makes sense, like you said, because of the fit. You want to start drumming next to a floor space like Marquise or even AD when he wants to be because AD is going to attract all attention when he picks and pops. Right. Uh, you, want to, you want to start drumming with somebody like that. And AD is accustomed to playing with guys who are, uh, you know, camping the paint because, I mean, he prefers to be a, a guard-type uh, offensive approach. Right. So he does not mind, you know, having to float outside. But a guy like Trez who wants to rim run, he needs somebody like Marcus All. Uh, playing with him uh, or, you know, Marquis playing with him, that's going to allow him that space to to rim run. So uh, just for the sake of maximizing the players, you have to start Andre Jones. Like yeah, that's what I, I mean, and I was a guest taking this call out, but. It's what the Lakers, it's what the Lakers fans want. It's their wet dream. You know what I mean? It's what most Lakers fans wet dream is to not start Marcus off. So I agree with y'all. You can't start Marcus off if you have Andre Jones. Like, that's not the smart thing. So, uh, you, know, you guys got your, what you wanted. We'll see. See, I, I'm hoping, you know, like I told somebody, I'm I'm hoping Andre Drummond proves us wrong. Like, it's like one of those things where if he does prove us wrong, that's good for us. Now we're a great team. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he proves us wrong. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I am cautiously optimistic about it. Uh, like I said, my thing is you take a step back and look at it, like all the complaining or whatever or the, the bickering, you got him for nothing. He didn't cost anything. Worst come to worst, it doesn't work out. And then he's on the bench, right? So that, mm-hmm. that's the worst case scenario. He didn't cost you anything. He doesn't go at the end of the season. So I didn't think that from that, it's a good gamble. Last thing before we get out of here, uh, Draymond Green, uh, the play has been making too much noise, but he did have some controversial thoughts about the uh, the women's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> We actually tried to get a woman on the scheduling, a woman that we both wanted to be on the pod for a minute. Uh, we could get a good of a, of a scheduling issue, but uh, Draymond said he has some thoughts about growing the women's game and popularity, and uh, it, it was a lot. So you're talking about seeing the pay gap between women and men, and it's not close, and he said he wanted to stop the complaints from falling on deaf ears due to numbers, and... He basically said, as long as they make the argument about pay while the revenue stays the same, and it won't, you know, the change won't happen. Um, I was with Draymond up until he kind of was trying to tell the women what they need to do. Yep, to, that's where I was at too. But I was with him with basically these these companies who make money off of slogans and you know equal this, equality this, who make money off that but aren't backing it up with, you know, infusing revenue into that side. He basically held their feet to the fire, which I respect. The other side of it is I didn't like where he was trying to kind of like coach the women on what they need to do. I thought that was kind of, you know, the word, the word used a lot was mansplaining. <laughs> yeah. So just what did you think about the whole – it was a lot with Draymond. I think it was, it was mostly – it was well-intentioned. Some of it was good. But the last part, he kind of lost me. So go go ahead, go go, go ahead. Let, let let me know what you think. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, what Draymond said was in terms of putting pressure on the corporations to actually provide the capital to grow the game. Obviously, yes, that's what you need to do. I think, and again, the main issue was that he was acting like. First of all, he was he was talking to them as if they didn't already know this, <laughs> right? Right, like like he was, he talked like he he was talking as if he had like an epiphany. He's the only one who started this idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's kind of how he was talking, like like bro, they like a lot of the labor people know this type of stuff. Uh, and this is where I say, you know, you have a good, you have a under understanding of who's at fault here, but your delivery and actually trying to make an impact with it wasn't hidden because now you're trying to say, well, you're trying to tell them what they should do. You know what Draymond should have did. Draymond needs to do what Kyrie does. Advocate on their behalf. Yep. Don't say what they need to do. 
because they're probably most likely already doing it. Do what Kyrie does and go advocate on their behalf to say, hey, they need this. How can we get this to them? That's what you should be doing. If you care, that's what you should be doing. And he did say he wanted to be involved with it, but that should be your focus, right? That should be the center of your top conversation is how can I be a part of getting them the resource they need to grow their game to make it better? That's how Kyrie discusses the women's game. That's how Kobe was approaching the women's game. If you want to help to grow the game, that's how you need to yeah, be an ally to the women in, in their struggle trying to get a better pay and, you know, better marketing for their, for their game. Yeah, I thought there was some parallels with some other stuff you were involved in. Like, it's only so much they can do with the resources that they have, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that was the issue with me with, with his side of telling them how they should do. It was like, and a lot of that stuff, because the woman I follow who covered people WME, a lot of that stuff is already happening. There's just no, there's just no, no spotlight on it as far as telling different, different women's stories and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So, you know, it was just, it's, it's, it's a very interesting conversation, but I think he was well-intentioned. He just, the, 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 the follow through, man, the wind up was good. The follow through <laughs> was, was, was kind of sus. So, um, yeah, the, the, what what is your piggybacking? What do you think is the solution? Because I, I, I can tell you right now, just watching college women's basketball, men's the women's game is better than the men's game at the college level, right? So yeah. how do you think that gets translated to the upper level? Because I look at the demographics, the you know the, the biggest supporter of – Women's of the WNBA is black men. Like the demographics, like as far yeah. as the minds of, so how do we get that? How do we get that same feel from the college to the to the pro level? In your in your opinion, you know. How do you get? So how do you say how do you trans? How do you? Trans- how, 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 what, do you what do you think? What do you think? How do you think you make the women's game more more popular? Is just you know, in your opinion. I mean, that's like a whole society. A lot of these conversations that people have, they definitely understand this is like societal problems. Okay, I, yeah, yeah. I, think it's, I, think, I think it starts with making people understand, respect the idea of, a, of, of women's athletics. I, I think that's where it starts. Like You have to respect the work that women put in. I think the reason why you see a lot of black men, the demographics being black men watching basketball is because who likes basketball the most? <laughs> so it's because black men love basketball so much. Yeah, they're going to watch the women play because they just love hoop. It don't matter who's hooping. Right. You just love to see hoop because you love the game. So when people – so when it comes to certain things like, like women's basketball, for example, uh, like if you're – like 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 there's no like there's no way you can scapegoat, first of all. If you're trying to look for a scapegoat in this conversation, there's no way you can scapegoat black men because – they're the ones viewer wise is keeping the viewership where it needs where it needs, even at a level where where it's you know uh, measurable. Right. Uh, what you need to scapegoat are you know the, the, there's no scapegoat. The real problem is the idea of not respecting women as athletes. Yeah. And not putting the capital needed to grow their game and to develop the talent from the lower level uh, because we know about AAU. For boys, but what Kobe was trying to do was bring the girls' aspect of it to the forefront with coaching girls and trying to revolutionize the girls' AAU circuit. You know, get the resources there, start young. You know, what I'm saying the NBA has the resources to have a pipeline program. Uh, they could easily make a pipeline program like they do with the soccer clubs. You right. know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. Best, the youth, so you can grow, start at the youth level, and develop the skills, market it from the youth level, you know what I'm saying, like, nobody knows the next, you know, and this is obviously me included, I'm not excluding these things, but nobody knows the next women's phenom from the high school level, but we know about Imani Bates. Right, I was about to say, yeah, we know Imani Uh, Bates, yeah, right, right, right. Imani Bates is up next, so you know what I mean, like, these are, you know what I mean, like, these are the type of things I'm talking about, you need to invest Starting young, you know, like I said, you have to have a society issue of also um, making women's athletics respectable. And then just the whole gender thing with sports, 
We need to make sports appealing to women. Watch. Because the reality is women don't find sports appealing to watch across the board. That's, this is this is demographically proven, by the way. This is demographically proven by viewership. Yeah. So obviously they're not going to be supporting the women's game, even though they would like to see the women get paid. They're not going to be supporting the women's game because I mean they're not even really watching the men's games like that. They do because it's popular, more popular, and more publicized. So they're joining in, but men drive sports in all sports. So like I said, that's a societal thing. It's societal issues here, but it's also issues that the NBA could do in terms of investing and growing it. They could take an active role in that. But then it gets to the point where everybody's saying, well, is that profitable? Will they have returns? You never know until you put the capital. It's an investment. It's an investment. investment. I mean, the the men's sports did start off profitable. I mean, the NBA yeah, that's what in the eighties. That's what that's what, in the eighties. That's what David they, they made a lot of gambles in the eighties on the NBA. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, like that's why they revere Magic and Burr so much because they saved the NBA. Yeah, right. So I mean, like I said, it's an investment. You have to put the risk up. The thing with the NBA that they can say that they didn't have in the eighties. Now they have a secured spot with the men's game where they can take an actual gamble with the women's league. You can't say that. Well, if it doesn't work out, we're in trouble. No, because you have the men's game still. That's that's providing money, and you have that big major TV deal that's coming up soon. Right, rumored to be like eighty billion dollars over eight, over uh, nine years. So they have the capital to do that. Uh, they just have to have the desire to. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I just wanted to touch up on that. It's hard to have this discussion without a woman to tell us right. you know, what what it appeals. So what what appeals on that side? So we just wanted to touch on that. Uh, definitely interesting conversation that needs to continue. Um, again. Thank you guys. Uh, follow and subscribe. Hit that button. Uh, follow with Kingsboro on Twitter. Myself, JJ Maples 55 underscore yes, MST. Uh, tap in. Let us know. Give us feedback. We respond to. We appreciate you guys. Uh, shout out Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer giving us that shout out on you on, on, on the national pod. We appreciate you, man. Appreciate that. That. We appreciate that love. Uh, again, man, much love. We are out of here. All right. Peace, y'all. Peace. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.